Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 34. Welcome to EntrepreneurOnFire.com, where remarkable entrepreneurs share their inspiring story. Let their journey illuminate your path to success. And now, your host, John Dumas. Fire Nation, we are building an incredible community at EntrepreneurOnFire.com. If you're starting or running a business, you simply have to check out the free resources we have for you. Also, every interviewee has their own dedicated page with a full recap and contact info. Come join our awesome community at eofire.com and reach out to me with any questions or suggestions you have. Entrepreneuronfire.com was created for you, so come on over and help make it stronger. And now, give it up for our five-star reviews. Nate Gugia, Eric Cooper, Eight Social Magnet, People FW, Yago Imperial Bartenders, and Robert Chavis. Thank you so much for your support. I look forward to thanking everyone who does the same. Okay, let's get started. I am simply inspired to introduce my guest today, Ryan Holiday. Ryan, are you prepared to ignite? I am. My man. Ryan is a media strategist for notorious clients like Tucker Max and Don Charney. He is the director of marketing at American Apparel, where his work in advertising is internationally known. His strategies are used as case studies by Twitter, YouTube, and Google, and have been written about in Ad Age, in New York Times, Gawker, and Fast Company. His first book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator, was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Ryan, I've given Fire Nation a little overview of your business and what you do. But why don't you give us a little more in-depth about who you are? Yeah, so um, what I do is, I guess in short, is I help clients get uh, the attention they feel like they deserve in what is you know, increasingly a chaotic and, and sort of bitter fight on, on the internet. I mean, like there's a, there's a million people trying to be heard over a million other people, and how do I and my clients make sure that their messages are the ones that, that get through. And, and that's, that's what I've come to specialize in. Well, you really do dive into that in your book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, which I read. I definitely truly enjoy it. And I look forward to delving into that later in the show. But okay. let's, let's start off right now with a success quote. We always start the show at Entrepreneur on Fire with a success quote to get the motivational ball rolling, to get our guests really fired up and pumped up for the rest of your content. So what do you have for us today? Yeah, so one of my favorite books is a, is a biography of, of William Tecumseh Sherman by B.H. Liddell Hart, who was sort of a, an early 20th century military historian. And so he, he has this quote, and I'm just sort of paraphrasing it, but it's, he says that um, sort of the deep truth of strategy is that the way to success is strategically along the line of least expectation and tactically along the line of least resistance. And I think that is, has always underp underpinned how I think about marketing and think about strategy and think about everything that I do, which is, which is how do you find the thing that no one is expecting and because they're not expecting it, you have the resources and the skills to, to, to pull it off. And when you combine those two things, you, sort of, you get explosive results. Explosive results, that's a great thing. And being an American studies major back in the day during college, I'm pretty confident that William Sherman was a 
Union general who really was attributed with potentially ending the war by ravaging the South. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, Sherman and Grant were sort of this. It's actually sort of a fascinating friendship. But, but basically, um, Grant and Lee were sort of locked in battle in the in the Northern Front um, uh, in in Northern Virginia, particularly. And uh, Sherman came from the West and sort of. Um, sort of went behind the southern lines and cut the south in half and he, he sort of he he understood that that the what was powering the south was its was its people's passion for the war and he took the war to the people and he sort of he ripped the guts out of the confederacy so it didn't it didn't have to end in some sort of epic battle between grant and lee uh it, it, it was much more a matter of, of ripping out its will to fight and um i, I think like obviously that's a you know a pretty gruesome gruesome metaphor, but I but I think his approach, which was uh, to understand the real center of gravity of the war and to to attack all his energy and and resources there, was was what ended the war substantially earlier than it than it would have gone on otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, being a military, an army officer specifically for eight years myself, I can definitely see the strategic importance of doing that and. I could definitely talk about this aspect. It's just your <laughs> quote all day. Just I'm, I have another passion for American history specifically. And being from Maine, you know, we do have a rich tradition with Joshua Chamberlain, who was the general of the, the Little Round Top, who was attributed yep. with the turning point in the Battle of Gettysburg. So we really have a lot of pride up here for that, for that reason, for that individual specifically. But Let's move on from that because, again, I can get carried away, but I've really enjoyed that little side note, and I hope our listeners did too. Let's just kind of get into real quickly, how do you specifically use that quote to your everyday life or just to your mentality in business? Um, so I've always represented clients that are a bit more controversial than your average client, so I don't represent like yoga studios or or um, you know charities. I, I tend to rep represent very controversial, often polarizing authors. And so for us, we've always said, okay, look, here, here's, here's where everyone else is competing for attention. Everyone's trying to get their book reviewed in the New York Times. Everyone's trying to get on CNN. Every, everyone's sort of trying to go this traditional route of, of publicity, which is, you, you know, you sort of wine and dine and you schmooze the reporters or journalists that you want to, to, to write about you. And we said, look, that's, that's what everyone's expecting us to do. And if we do that, they're going to reject us because we don't fit in their typical box. So how can we make our own news that, that is not only cheaper and easier to do, but, but gets us attention in a way that, that otherwise we wouldn't be able to? So with my clients, I say, look, we want to be in the New York Times. How can we do something that's so interesting and so sort of counterintuitive and crazy that the New York Times comes to us and says, we'd like to do a story about you. And that's fundamentally different than submitting your book for review, waiting for months, hoping they write about you, and then ultimately that review having very little impact on sales. And so for my clients, we've always been very aggressive and very uh, untraditional in terms of the length and the ideas that we're willing to implement, if that makes sense. Well, it makes total sense. And the way that you implement it, it actually puts you in charge in a way because you're able to dictate. Because as you said, they're coming to you. You're not waiting around for them to maybe publish it on a day that you might not even be ready for months and months down the road. They're coming to you. 
you're setting the ground lines and you're going forward from there. So that's a very non-traditional but effective way to go about it. Right. And, and when, you're, when you're going along the line of expectation, you, you're, you're having to outfight or out, out-warrant attention from people who are bigger and frankly more interesting than you. Like, do you want to – the New York Times has hundreds of books sitting, sitting there waiting, waiting for articles, right? And to me, that's just not a fight I'm, I'm likely to win. As good as I think my books are, my clients' books are, that's a tough fight to win. But if I can do something interesting, if I can engage in some sort of publicity stunt, if I can attack some sacred cow, or if I can do something that's truly newsworthy, I get to go to the front of the line. And I like going to the front of the line because I hate waiting. Absolutely. Thanks for that inside look. That is just great. And Ryan, we're going to use that to transition to our next topic because at Entrepreneur on Fire, we really like to go back in your journey as an entrepreneur, your story of what you've done in your past to get to where you currently are today. And for every entrepreneur, at some point in your journey, you've encountered failure or you've encountered an obstacle or a challenge of some sort that you've had to overcome. Obviously, there are small ones every single day that we face. But can you look back into your journey and pull out a very telling failure or obstacle that you came across and how you reacted to that? Yeah. Um, it, I, if I look at my path, I, I see it as sort of one of continual failure in that I'm sort of completely self-taught. I, I dropped out of college. I, I have no formal training in any of the things that I do. But I, but I had really good mentors who, who were able to sort of walk me through this process and I think that one of the best ways to learn from mentors, and, and this is what I do when I'm sort of trying to return the favor, which is <clears throat> you, you throw someone into the deep end of the pool and you just you let them make mistakes and then you, you sort of slowly correct them from there. So I, I can't think of one like catastrophic failure off the top of my head. But, but for me, it was, okay, Ryan, I need you to help market this book for me. And I have absolutely no idea how to do that. And sort of teaching myself from scratch how to do these things is how I learned and how I got to where I am now. And it's interesting. It's interesting that you bring that up because, like, I think all of us know in our heads that we learn from failure, but we spend so much of our time and energy trying to prevent failure from happening. Um, and, and we try to do everything perfect and we try to take on things that we know about or that are in our comfort zone. And for me, what I did um, was, uh, and, and I think I was only able to do this because I was sort of a brash teenager, honestly, when I started, which is just take on things that I was just objectively not qualified to deal with. And if I could just eke out a tiny bit of success, uh, for me, I'm, I'm coming out ahead. And so... I got to where I am, I guess, in short, by taking on projects that were way above my level and just struggling like hell to not let anyone down. And uh, when you do that, you end up you end up learning so quickly and and taking on more than you could you can handle. And 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 I, I strongly recommend that for people. So not being afraid of failing and a failure in and of itself was a major lesson that you learned from diving in into the deep end and really having to self-teach yourself certain skills that people thought 
or assumed that you already had. So that's a great lesson that you pulled out of that. Can you get specific and pull out one more lesson that you really learned from these challenges that you faced in your past? Yeah, I mean, like, so when you learn by trial and error, obviously you're learning hundreds of lessons. And for me, it was this sort of gradual awakening. Um, I feel like if I'd been trained and if I'd sort of, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd gotten a degree in marketing or business and then I'd worked for a PR agency and then, uh, then I sort of slowly developed my own clients, what I would have learned is the old way of doing things. And that would have made it a lot harder for me to see this new way of doing things because you, you get very wedded to the way that you learned. So for me, having almost complete freedom to, to do these things however I thought it made the most sense for them to be to be done. And and look, obviously my instincts were wrong all the time and I and I would I would, you know, touch a stove and get burned and not touch that stove anymore. But what I sort of I sort of was able to see the the media system very clearly for what it was without any illusions or without any of the edifice or or artificial uh, sort of structure that uh, that PR people put on it. So I, I sort of saw it as this chaotic wild west where everyone was out trying to to make a name for themselves and and I figured out how to do that better than a lot of people how to use that to my advantage and. For me, I, so I, so I think what I learned was was really like see things for what they are and don't come into a new field with all this baggage because I, I think if anything we're we're starting to learn that that a lot so many of the dominant industries that we've taken for granted are really showing their age they're starting to fall apart and they're starting to to show major flaws and if you go in them from a traditional path you you carry a lot of those assumptions with you and they're harder to it's harder to throw away a bad assumption than it is to pick up a new good one. So for me, my untraditional path was very freeing in that I got to take only the good stuff and I didn't have to pick up any of the bad habits. Now, this is just a perfect segue into our next topic, which is the aha moment. How you lead your life and how you face every day, it just means that you are having these little aha moments every day. You're just realizing things. These little light bulbs are going off in your head. You're seeing things for what they are, the reality of them. And that's so important as an entrepreneur. Can you go back and at some point in your journey, did you have a major light bulb moment that just kind of shined above and brighter than all the little ones that you were experiencing consistently and continually? Well, I like what you're saying about the little light bulb moments because I think those are better than than the big ones. I, I can't think of one big moment where it sort of it all became clear that I had this epiphany and that's how I understood it. It's it's much more. It's like, look, if you if you're going out and doing battle every day, if you're stepping into the arena and you're you're seeing how things work, and you're you're you're, you're gradually learning. You pick up a trick here, you pick up a trick there, you you pick up uh, uh, an, an understanding somewhere else, and and then. Finally, it's it's gradually you built this familiarity and sort of a deep intuitive understanding of what you do. Uh, that sort of cumulatively adds up to your big epiphany, or at least that's how it worked for me. So it was it was dealing with hundreds of bloggers, a lot, writing hundreds of press releases, uh, doing hundreds of campaigns. So American Apparel, who's, who's my one of my bigger clients, where I, I've been the director of marketing for for the last several years. It's a it's a company that that doesn't do like sort of big seasonal launches, but instead rolls out 
dozens of products a year, if not more. Um, uh, dozens is probably uh, underselling it. The hundreds of products. So, so for American Apparel, instead of doing one or two big product launches where you sort of you see how it works, I was doing many, many of those, and each time I would I would get a little better at it. I would understand a little bit more. I could learn from what I did last time, and so it was like I was able to condense years of experience down into a much shorter period. Because uh, it's like like let's say you do. Um, Movie PR. Well, they only they only even a good studio only puts out a few movies every year. So it's going to take a long time for you to really get good at doing it because you just don't have the opportunity to experience it in multiple iterations. And so I strongly recommend that people, uh, even if it's harder and it you make less money and it's a lot, it's more work, is take on a place where where you get many many at bats rather than like a few symbolic ones because you learn every time you step up to the plate. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I'd just love to share an aha moment that I had while reading your book um, that I would kind of like you to expound upon slightly for our listeners that was just so powerful to me. And that's when you were operating as the director of marketing for American Apparel. And you just had this epiphany, this kind of out-of-the-box light bulb or thought yourself of, you know what, nobody's reaching out to these young, wildly popular with massive subscriber audiences, bloggers about fashion. I want to be that person that's reaching out with them, really connecting with them and having them have a feel-good vibe about American Apparel because we've earned it. Can you speak to that? Yeah, um, I think, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If I had sort of, I'd started as an intern at a magazine, then I became the marketing director there, and then I moved over to the industry side, and then I was working for a brand, I would have had all these assumptions about how fashion PR is supposed to work, and I would have internalized this notion of, of gatekeepers and, and that you know it's magazines that drive the fashion cycle or it's television or celebrities, but instead... I came to it from a world where blogs uh, sort of drive the public conversation and blogs are really easy and much more casual about their relationships than traditional media. So I sort of saw these fashion blogs coming out of nowhere when this thing was first starting and I said, well, let's just talk to them. Why, why not? And like, there's no question people in the company who had come the other way were resistant to this idea. It's like, Who's going to take fashion advice from some random girl in Connecticut who posts on a blog? And, and my feeling was lots of people. This is going to be the future of, of, of the industry. And I was, I was able to see it that way because, again, I, I didn't have any preconceived notions about how it was supposed to work. I just knew an opportunity when I saw one. And so you know, we started sending them stuff. Um, we started working together. And it it became so effective so quickly that that all the other people in the company got really into it. Um, but I was able to 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 get that ball rolling because I could be more open minded than they were. And then once the results were there, you know, everyone sees that this is a good idea. But it's it's when it's when you're able to, like you were saying, see things as they are. You can you can spot opportunities and take small calculated risks. And that's where, you know, that's where new things come from. I just love when people can think outside the box, which you were able to do coming from, quote unquote, outside the industry. And I really have to applaud American Apparel for really putting you into position to implement that because that was really forward thinking of them as well. 
So I really enjoyed both aspects of that. My next question is kind of an interesting question. People definitely answer it in a different way every single time, which is why I like it. Have you had an I've made it moment yet? Um, for me, having the book make the, the, the bestseller list was sort of like a, a weird moment where it's like, I, I don't know, it's weird. So you, you sit down and you write a book and, and that's not a thing that, that most people do, but I feel like a lot of people write books. And then, you know, I, I've known a fair amount of people who have gotten book deals. Um, so it's sort of like, for me, it was this funnel. And, and by the time I got to the part where it was like a best-selling book, I, I really felt like I could give myself the credit to say like, hey, I'm an author. Like I wrote a book. And, and uh, that was cool. But I've always been the, I've always tried to remind myself that like external validation is not proof that you've made it, is not, um, it's, it's not what you should be shooting for. You should be trying to do good work that you, that you appreciate and stand by and, and are proud of. So to, to me, making it is, is sort of always been this weird subjective, uh, bear or sort of subjective benchmark that I've, I've tried not to put too much stock into, but it's, it's, it's nice to be recognized by your peers and, and have something to kind of hang your hat on. Cause I, cause I think for me, it, I actually felt like once I'd done that, I could, I could calm down a little bit. It's like, okay, everything from here on out is just extra. And, and that's been a cool, a cool feeling for me. It's kind of a catch-22 at the same time because you never, as an entrepreneur, want to fully rest on your laurels and just sit there and really take it all in while not just reaching out and setting your next goal even higher once you've attained that original goal. So you always want to be pushing yourself further and further once you've reached that goal. But at the same time, it is important every now and then, once you have hit a benchmark, to take it all in and to appreciate it because that's what all the hard work is for. So I definitely applaud you for doing that and I definitely see where you're going in the future as far as where you want to keep pushing yourself higher. Yeah, because because at the end of the day, you, you don't have much control over these things. And if you fool yourself into thinking you do, you're going to be really disappointed when things are snatched from you. Like So for me, for the book... The goal was to hit the New York Times bestseller list. And I objectively moved enough copies to hit that benchmark. But the New York Times is is sort of very secretive and particular about how they decide who's a bestseller or not. Right. And they took it away from me. Like I, I qualified and I think they didn't approve of the kind of content that my book is and I didn't make it. And so if if although that was my goal, I didn't. I didn't want to let it, uh, I deliberately knowing that this could happen, I didn't want to make it feel like making the list or not making the list said anything about me as a person because I would have been crushed when I was unfairly deprived of something that was mine. And so um, it was like, I, I like to think about it as like you have your goal, but it's not a matter of life or death if you achieve it or not because you know, at, at the end of the day, there's so many things that are outside your control that can take a goal from you, that can change the direction of your life, that can prevent things that, that seem like a sure thing from, from happening. And I, I think the last thing you want to do is be, is have put so much on something that when it doesn't happen, you're, you're devastated because, you know, life's too short to be devastated. So let's talk about present day right now, your current situation, what you're doing. What is one thing that's really exciting you 
right now? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm starting to think about my second book. And so for me, the, the research phase is the most fun part of writing a book. Uh, writing can get sort of tedious. Editing is, is, you know, miserable. Uh, for me, it's throwing together like the outline of an idea and, and then going out there and trying to collect as much meat to throw on those bones. That gets me really excited. And so my next book's going to be about practical philosophy, um, stoicism, um, most directly. And, uh, so, so now I sort of get to go out and I'm, you know, I'm getting paid to read books about things that, that get me excited. And, and, I'm, you know, that's, that's gotten me uh, up every morning. Some of the, some of the books I'm doing marketing for in the next few weeks have gotten me really excited. Robert Greene has an amazing book coming out about mastery, which I think is a, is a, is a really timely subject that the idea of, of becoming the best at something and, and sort of doing an apprenticeship, learning something, working at it for years, being a journeyman and then becoming a mastery. I, I think there's a, there's a couple of things like that that have got me excited. Um, and, and so that's, that's what, that's what I've been focusing on recently. We've all got to put in our 10,000 hours. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and actually what he's saying in the book is, is the, the real research has shown that it actually takes 20,000 hours. It 20,000 hours is, is how you get to the level of not just being really good at something and being the best, but remaking that thing and redefining it and changing the rules. It takes 10,000 hours to understand the rules better than anyone else and, and, and learn them. But it takes 20,000 hours to, to have so internalized those rules that you rewrite them and you, you, you take the, whatever it is that you're doing to the next level. Bummer. I had just hit 3% for podcasting. Right. And now I'm down to 1.5 with this new information. Yeah, exactly. You get to your 10,000 hours and then you're like, oh man, I'm halfway there. <laughs> so Ryan, obviously no two days are the same for you. As an entrepreneur, you have a variety of tasks that demand your attention. But at the same time, at Entrepreneur on Fire, we really kind of like to pull back the veil a little bit and show that we as entrepreneurs still have tasks that we need to complete each and every day that take up our time. What are two tasks that seem to occupy a portion of your day? Um, yeah, weirdly, the, the two tasks that I make sure that I do every day actually sort of, in a way, they have nothing to do with what I do. But to me, they have everything to do with what I do. So I, I, um, I do at least two hours of like hard, strenuous physical exercise. I do like Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the morning, and then I normally run and swim in the afternoon. Um, and, and to me, it's, it's having that sort of disciplined activity that I think I strengthens me and allows me to apply that mindset to the rest of the things that I do. And I think exercise is also important because it disconnects us from a, our cell phone, from a TV. It's sort of we're, we're one with ourselves. And, and to me, a lot of my best ideas come from having worked all uh, the first half of the day and then I go for a run in the afternoon and my mind is just sort of relaxed and ideas come to me. And then the other is, uh, is I read a lot. I, I'm, I consider myself a voracious reader. Um, and I, I, I don't schedule reading time every day, but whenever I have a free moment, I pick up a book. And, um, for me, again, having no real formal training, like I, I consider books to be my, my sort of alma mater. And I, I consider reading to be part of my job. Like no one says, Hey Ryan, like 
we're we're paying you to market our book. Like we want to make sure you're doing a lot of reading, but it's it's in reading those books that I get most of my best ideas. And so I, I consider those two things to probably be, if anything, the 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 secrets to my success. So many people would look at what you said and they would say, I don't even have time to work out once a day, let alone twice a day. Well, the reality is, is that they're just having this massive space of time that is just increasing to the time that they're allotting to it. Whereas you have a very disciplined program where you're working out in the morning, you know that you're focused during the day now to get that all, the, all of what you need to get done done before your afternoon or evening workout. So it's a great approach to it. I really have to applaud that. I'm a big proponent of exercise myself. I'm really into the P90X Insanity trip right now. So I'm really excited about that stuff. Yeah, it's funny. Like when I, when I was working at an office, I never had time to work out or I felt like, I, felt like I, I barely had enough time to squeeze in all the things that I did during the day. And then when I started working from home, I could make my own schedule and I wasn't worried about appearances. I wasn't worried about spending time in the office. I, it's like, look, running is important to me. It, it helps with my work. So does reading books. I'm going to do it when I feel like it. And now when I go back, because I, I still have an office, when I go back, it's like, how did I ever spend eight or 10 hours here? Like, there's not enough to do. I want to go running right now, but I can't because it'd be like, why am I leaving in the middle of the day? And it, it's, once you break the mold, you, you sort of, you find out, like you were saying, I think it's Parkinson's law, how much you're just slowing things down to fit the, to fit the mold that you've been told your workday has to fit in. Absolutely. Now, this next question I'm really excited for because I feel like you are truly cutting edge in what you do. So Ryan, what's your vision for the future? Yeah, so, so my book is sort of all about how the media system works right now and how I think it's, it's pretty broken and how people have to do these things that are uh, scary and you know, sort of in a, in a gray area in terms of tactics. I, I see people... Uh, I see people needing to circumvent the media system and go directly to their audience. So right now, you have to get an article in the New York Times to get people to hear about your product launch. And that, that's a bottleneck that, that controls everything that companies do. And, and I really see the future being one where you have direct access to your customer, whether it's through Twitter or Facebook or through email lists. And that's what I focus my clients on doing is building those permission assets so you don't need to court media attention and engage in publicity stunts and and sway bloggers and create the news so you can be in the news because when you have a new thing that you want to tell your customers about, you just tell them about it. I love that vision and I cannot wait for it to come to fruition. So Ryan, we've now reached my favorite part of the show. We're about to enter the lightning round. This is where I provide you with a series of questions and you just come back at us with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah, sounds like a plan. Awesome. Take like 30 seconds for a nice direct answer to these and let's just really get our bang for the buck here. Okay. What was the number one thing that was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? It, it, it's the fear of the unknown, I, I think, is what holds me back. It's, it's what holds people back. It's, it's how am I supposed to make money? What am I supposed to do during the day? How is it going to work out? And the, the, scary, the scary thing is that it seems like 
you're doing what you're not supposed to do. It's, it seems like you're taking this massive risk. And in fact, you're not only not taking a risk because it, in, in my experience, it's, it's, it's more profitable and it's more enjoyable. But when, when you get to a state where you don't have to show up at an office every day and you can do what you're passionate about and you can do what you care about, you realize how much more aligned that is with, your, with, with human nature, the way we're supposed to live our lives. Do you end up almost accelerating? You work more, you work harder, you love what you're doing more, you're, you're more creative, ideas come to you. And, and so for me, it was, it was this fear of what's it like if it's not like this, you know, the, the sort of the 40-hour work week. What's it like if it's not like this? And, and it's, a, it's a funny fear because it turns out that life is so much better. It's not only not something to be afraid of, it's something you should look forward to. That has absolutely been a reality since I've launched Entrepreneur on Fire. What is the best business advice you ever received? So, so Dove Charney, who's the uh, he's the CEO of American Apparel, he's been a mentor for me. Um, I remember one time I, I was working on some project and it ended up going really well. And I sent it to him and I was like, hey, look, like we made all this money. It went really well. And he called me and he was like, you know what? Like, it's great. I'm proud of you. You did good. But you've got to be a miserable Jew about what you're working on. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? He's Jewish. But he, he's saying you've got to be a miserable Jew. You can't look at what went right here. You've got to look at all the things that could have been a little bit better. You've got to be neurotic and obsessed and almost depressed about what you're working on. So you're constantly refining and, and, and refreshing and changing and improving because you're never satisfied with what you're doing. And, and to me, that, that was a fundamental flip because I think, that especially people in my generation, you're, you're, you're looking for what you did well. You're looking at, at, at what went right and, and what you're happy with. And that's great and it's, it's probably better for your personal sanity, but it, it, it doesn't make you improve what you're working on. And it, 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 it doesn't make you hungry. And I think being hungry is, is, is the essence of entrepreneurship. What is something that's working for you right now? Just sort of living my life on my own terms is, is, is working for me. It's uh, doing the things that I care about, working on the things that I like about, ignoring the things that I don't, you know, setting my own pace. Ignoring the things that you don't care about. That is so critical. And I definitely am glad you brought that point up. Do you have an internet resource you could recommend to the listeners that you are just in love with right now? I mean, there, there's a couple blogs that I like. I, I like reading blogs from people who aren't blogging for a living. They just write about things that they care about. So, for instance, like I love Mark Cuban's blog because like Mark Cuban's a billionaire. So when he sits down to write about something, it's something that he cares about and he felt like needed to be written, not like someone's paying him to write about it. And there's a couple other good blogs like that where the person's sort of not dependent on the blog for their living and they're able to be so much more honest and authentic. And I, and I think that's, that's what blogging originally brought to the table. And a lot of the negativity and criticism that I have in my book is is for you know the sort of the Huffington Post model of journalism, where they're trying to eke out these tiny profits over thousands of articles. I like people who are who are writing because they have something to say, not because they're trying to uh, to make advertising revenue. Absolutely. Now you've already mentioned Robert Greene and Mastery, and yeah. I'm definitely going to link up your book in the show notes as well. 
What would you say is the best business book besides those two that you've read in the last six months? Business book or can it be any book? It can be any book. So my favorite book, and, and this goes to one of the things that I'm going to be working on my next one, my, my favorite book is the book that I, I never travel anywhere without, I've, I've read probably a hundred times, is, is The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius, which I think is sort of the, the greatest book ever written for self-improvement and discipline and humility and resilience and robustness, which uh, are not just great for making you a better person, but I think they very much dovetail with the lessons that entrepreneurs and uh, and business people need to learn. Very unique. I love that. So Ryan, this last question is my favorite, but it's kind of a tricky one. So definitely take your time, digest right. it before you answer. This is the question. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you still had all of the experience, knowledge, and money that you currently have right now, but your business had completely disappeared and every way, shape, and form, leaving you essentially with a clean slate, which many of our listeners find themselves in right now. What would you do in the next seven days? I'm, I'm really excited about the, like, the Amazon self-publishing platform. And I think it's never been easier for authors and writers and thinkers to, to develop an audience and to develop a sort of a direct relationship with customers. Um, and, and I could very easily see myself if I needed to make money tomorrow and I didn't have any contacts, I didn't have anything to start with, how could I use like sort of the principles of free, the principles of, of, of close to free, of, of self-publishing, of, of sort of being a ubiquitous presence and, and selling ideas. I, I think Amazon's platform for, for self-publishing and for eBooks has, has really put people in a, in a, fascinating, exciting place to, uh, to do new and cool things. That is exciting. This whole interview has truly been exciting and inspiring. So honestly, thank you so much for joining us today. You've given us some great actionable advice and we are definitely all better for it. Give Fire Nation one last piece of guidance, then give yourself a plug and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, one of the other best business advices I got was, was also from Dove, and I think it goes to the question you just asked. He's, he was reminding me that, that run rates always start at zero. And so often we're, we're thinking about how to make this huge thing that we forget that we have to s- like start with nothing and that you have to put in a lot of work before you can go from $0 in revenue to $1 in revenue. But once you make that, it's a lot easier to go from one to 100 to 1,000 to 10,000. And uh, like, so don't be afraid to try and don't be discouraged that you're starting, you know, just at zero. And um, I think my book is a, is, a, is a good way to take that thing that you started that you want to get in front of customers and you want to get attention for your work. My book is sort of a, a how-to and a, it's a blueprint for doing that in the internet era. Wonderful. Well, that will all be linked up in the show notes. Ryan, thank you so much once again, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for having me. Fire Nation, thank you so much for joining us today. Are you interested in learning five ways to make $500 this month? How about five productivity tips that will help you today? Well, that and more is my free gift to you when you go to eofire.com and subscribe to Fire Nation. Lastly, for that entrepreneur ready to take it to the next level, visit ignitemastermind.com, join our elite mastermind community, 
and watch your business or business idea explode. Thank you for joining us at EntrepreneurOnFire.com, your daily dose of inspiration. Prepare to ignite.